Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Your Money in 20, a podcast by your friends at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm Victor Colella, CFP, Certified Financial Planner and Wealth Advisor here at Woodward, and I'm joined today by a guest who you likely all know and love, Joe Marks, also a CFP and Wealth Advisor here at Woodward. Hi, Joe. Happy to, happy to be here, Vic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Joe, before I dig in further, uh, I'm going to say we're here to do a lightning round of all the ways that we're a psychological mess uh, when it comes to investing. And, and when I say we, I mean us as homo sapiens. Uh, we're going to run through as many of these investment biases that we all hold. Uh, and, and these are always there in the background working against us as investors and our portfolios. So we'll dig in further here in a minute. But before I do, I want to express that everything we are about to talk about is meant to be educational in nature. So this is not meant to be advice specific to your situation, either investment advice, tax-related advice, legal advice. Uh, for advice specific to you, you'll want to go to your professionals, your advisor, your tax planner, or CPA, or your estate attorney. Okay, Joe. Having said that, I want to say that why would we go through uh, all these reasons why we're bad investors? Well, simply knowledge is power. Uh, there is no vaccine for these biases, right? So even grizzled financial professionals like you and I, Joe, um, we still talk about these. We feel the pull uh, in moments where, uh, you know, the situation sort of triggers these things that are, you know, sort of innate in us. And the more likely we know, when we know them, the more likely we are uh, over time to recognize them in ourselves and maybe make the right decision instead of the one that they're telling us to make. Make sense? Yeah, makes total sense. So, Joe, before we start, I want to say one more thing, which is that these aren't all bad, right? So the, these biases exist for a reason. And that reason is it could be saber-toothed tiger related, right? The, this has served us well when it came to, you know, not getting eaten as early humans. Or, you know, often some of these biases have helped us in our careers, in our other parts of our life. So I, I think it's fair to say that these all have a purpose and, and investing is unlike anything else that we do in our lives, generally speaking. So they're just not as useful in this, in this environment. So with that said, Joe, I, let's jump in. So let's I'll kick it. one out there and then you can sort of run with, run with it, define it, and we can have a little conversation about each one. Perfect. All right, Joe, action bias. Yeah. What okay. Do we know? So what do we know? Action bias is the tendency for people to do things, to take action, particularly in situations where there's an elevated level of stress. Um, that could be in your personal life. That could be just watching the news. Um, so we know this, this sort of triggers people to take action in their portfolio oftentimes because there's this desire to do something. It's better than doing nothing, many people think, when in reality, sometimes it is better to just sit still. Yeah, and I can, I can easily see how this one was useful, uh, is useful to us in other parts of our life, right? Idle hands uh, don't generally serve us well at work or, or whatever it is, but there's this saying that, Joe, we talked about before this podcast that uh, we use a lot. We probably have even said it on this podcast, which is that your portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, uh, the less of it there is. 
which is sort of a cheeky way to underline exactly what this bias is talking about. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is is nothing. Uh, strategically do nothing, which is a lot of what we do, uh, especially when times are tough. Okay, anything to add on that one, Joe? No, let's roll to the next one. All right, the bandwagon effect. Okay, so this plays out not only in cheering for your favorite sports team or the sports teams that is doing well, but to sort of go along with the crowd, um, this really manifests with a lot of new sort of fangled stuff. So cryptocurrency is a great example. But Mm -hmm. this bias exists because as humans, we want to fit in. There's a safety in being part of the tribe. But that doesn't mean that you should alter your investments to fit in with uh, friends or neighbors or people that you know or people that you respect because your situation may not be the same as theirs. Well, and, and there are even some of the most famous investors. I'm not sure if anyone's ever heard of the guy Warren Buffett, uh, ring a bell, Joe. Famous. Um, yeah, yeah, we've all heard of him. And he is, there's a term called contrarian, which is doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing. Because often there is this one is so prevalent in our markets that there's a strategy that exists. Just not doing this uh, ends up making you a very successful investor because you know markets go up and they overshoot and then they come back. The pendulum swings back and forth. A lot of that is because everyone's just doing what everybody else is doing until someone starts going the other way. So um, yeah, we see this one all the time. And I'll say one quick note on that one. Financial media doesn't help. Uh, If you're watching, uh, you know, name the financial media show and there's and, you know, here's the next big thing that you should be doing. They're just getting the ball rolling and everybody's going to jump on board because it's on TV. Um, So they don't help. All right, Joe, next one. The endowment effect. Yeah, so now we're going to transition into biases that have not so much to do with action, but they're just sort of sitting in the back of our brain. Uh, Again, we don't know about these, but they are prevalent. So endowment effect is really our tendency to value things more that belong to us. So that could be your car. That could be a stock that you own. The value that those things have really has nothing to do with whether you own it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But somehow we think that because we own it, um, that it carries sort of an outsized value. Well, and to, I I think it's probably pretty easy to see how this one could be helpful if you're protecting, you know, your property, (laughs) just generally speaking. But when it comes to markets, the way that we see this one financially harming folks is and this one sort of interacts with one of the next couple that we're going to go through called the sunk cost fallacy. But you say, well, I've got this stock or this fund or this ETF. And I, it's, I've had it for a while. It's mine. I sort of identify with it. I've talked about it at a cocktail party with people. You know, it's mine. Now that could be the worst investment in the whole world. Maybe it was good when you bought it, but it could be the worst investment in the whole world with high expenses or it's you know going down the tubes but you still hold on to it because it's yours and you value it whereas uh the right question to ask is if you had a dollar today what would you do with it um if you, this one's really got hold of you maybe you'd buy more of it and you know, this is the doubling down 
uh, effect. So this one really, uh, you see it. And Joe, I'm just going to roll right into the next one, which is the Ikea effect, because it's so close to that one. Very close. So rather than things that you outright own, these are things that you sort of helped create. You were involved with. This could be a project, an idea. This could be research that you did on buying a house or buying an investment. Again, the intrinsic value of that is sort of unrelated to your particular research that you did, right? Millions of other people have their own research ideas. But again, we tend to overvalue because we're invested in it. Mm -hmm. And again, easy to see how this one can be valuable in other parts of our lives. But uh, the information comes and and investments change uh, sometimes, especially if it's individual companies, it, it changes very fast. So what was a great idea a year ago when you first uh, you know, did all the research to figure out what stock you wanted to buy or, or whatever it is. The facts could have changed, but you still feel that connection and that doesn't always help. That's right. Now, this third one I've already mentioned, so it's the sunk cost fallacy. And I'm guessing some folks have heard of this one before. Yeah. Joe, why don't you give us the, the lay of the land with sunk cost? Sure, this might be the one that has the most sort of recognition out there, but the that doesn't make it any easier to, to fight against this. But this is really um, investment or money or energy or time that you have poured into something that you somehow think should affect your future actions on that. So, you know, uh, you go to get your car fixed. Well, I just put $500 into this car. Um, your decision oh. on whether to sell that car isn't necessarily related to the $500 because it's sunk. You've already spent it. So we need to be looking forward, but just another area where our brilliant brains aren't particularly good. Well, Joe, the car example hits a little close to home. I had a <laughs> bit of a, a lemon of a Subaru, uh, but uh, that Subaru aside, I think this one is probably, we could talk about it for an hour. Certainly. Because, I mean, there are certain things that we hear folks say that are key indicators here. So, well, I think it's going to come back, right? I, I know it's down right now. I think it's going to come back. Um, maybe it'll come back, right? But I think when, when I think about this one, I think grounding yourself in this moment as if the past doesn't exist is the best way to sort of avoid the mistakes that come from it. Because if you're thinking every every second, every day, the slate is wiped clean. You learn from the past, hopefully. But uh, from an investment standpoint, what happened yesterday, other than from a taxation standpoint, and when this is causing you a problem, that tends to be less of an issue. But um, if you start from today as if everything were in cash, that's the way that you need to think about things. Because... Um, it is so easy to fall into the trap. So whenever you're saying, well, I, because I've had it for a while, you know, I, I want to stick it out and see what happens. Those are red flags uh, when we hear them and they should be, if you hear it in your own minds, uh, you know, voice, then, you know, be careful. Anything else on sunk cost fallacy, Joe? I know there's a lot to that one. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, we should come back on a future podcast and, and dig into that one. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're going to shift into sort of another couple here that are, again, closely related. So 
The first one is the zero risk bias. Yeah, so you're right. We're shifting now towards sort of another set here. And these are sort of how humans deal with pain or dislike pain. Um, So zero risk bias, that bias is our preference as humans for 100% certainty in all things. Now, it's not possible, but we still crave this. You know, we really don't like uncertainty. And so we, we tend to not get involved. That could be investments. That could be other long-term planning that you're doing, uh, taking measured risks and calculated risks. We tend to not do that because there's some amount of uncertainty. That could be uncertainty in our lives, uncertainty in our family, in our community, or even things like geopolitics. Right. And, and Joe, a couple ways that this one often will come up, and hopefully none of our listeners are in this situation or have been, but a classic one here is the market corrects. Maybe it was COVID in 2020. Maybe it was the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And at some point you sell to cash. Maybe it was at the top, maybe it was at the bottom. It doesn't really even matter for the case of this example. But folks will come to us a decade later, still in cash, because, and and meanwhile, the market has rebounded and and then some. And they'll still be in cash because they're saying, I just, I've been looking for the right time. I've I've never, I, I don't know what the right time is. And it's this analysis paralysis situation. And, and that ends up really hurting you when, the, the data shows that, you know, over three quarters of the time markets go up. So you don't have to know when it's going to go up or down. You just have to know the long term. And that need for certainty is really what stops you. We joke about a crystal ball all the time. We're in the business of predicting the future. So there is no certainty, uh, which is hard for us to swallow with especially this bias. Okay, this is another headliner, Joe. And it is one that folks may also have heard of loss aversion or loss aversion bias. Yeah, this is uh, well, it's it's a classic. I mean, the all the experiments they've done, the data that has come out indicate that we as humans handle losses. So they hurt two times as much as a gain feels good. Um, And this is this controls a lot of our. Uh, behavior on on all fronts, but particularly investing and an investment that didn't go well in the past. We talked about sunk cost and those sorts of things. And I loved your example of drawing the line and saying that didn't happen, but our brains aren't great about shutting that off. Um, So we hate losses. And so because of that, we tend to orient um, our investments or our thinking in a way to avoid losses when really, especially when we're talking about decades uh, of a time frame, it's okay to take a little bit of educated and calculated risk. Well, and Joe, I'll tie this one back again to that example I just used for zero risk bias. So you've, you've sold, you, let's say you lost your shirt. You, your portfolio was down 40% in 2009. You sold because you didn't want to lose any more right? Okay. Because those losses felt so bad that you, you just couldn't stomach anymore. A lot of people were there. I, I'm not criticizing, although it certainly wasn't the best financial decision. 
Um, this loss aversion means that even as you see the market going up and everyone's saying the market's recovering, look at these crazy returns, it's in the news, etc. Um, even though you're losing money just the same by not participating in that upward trend, at least you're not going to lose any more. It, it can be a reason why you stay out of, out of the market or, you know, it, it, stay in cash when you shouldn't. Or uh, there, there are a lot of different ways that this can materialize that we're not going to be able to cover. But um, it's this one's a big one. And I can tell you this one is sneaky because I think, I, you know, I'm, you know, uh, CFP, uh, we do this for a living, but I notice this one in myself in subtle ways that have nothing to do with investments. But, you know, I guess is a good way to learn from our mistakes as humans. Uh, you know, if it hurts to lose more than it, you know, feels good to win, that certainly can be a motivator, but um, not necessarily with investments. Yep. All right. I think this is the last one we're going to have time for, Joe. And it's got a great name to boot. So it's called the halo effect. Yeah. Love this one. And um, it does go by some other names. These sort of most common way to, to capture these. But this, this notion is one that um, we, uh, I, I guess the best way to cover this is just by way of example. You go to see your dentist every six months or every year, whatever it is, and he or she is a fantastic dentist, great communicator. They do great work. When you're done with your consult and you've talked and you've chatted, you happen to ask this person what a good investment is. Now, why do we do this? We do this because we pass, we attribute their investment knowledge to being a dentist, even though they're completely unrelated. Yeah. Another name I've heard for this one is winner's bias. So, I mean, you see this, how many people take uh, life tips or even investment tips from celebrities? Yeah. I, I mean, this is a classic manifestation of it where, well, they're rich and, and famous, perhaps. They must have done something right. So now I'm going to elect them as governor. Uh, <laughs> no offense, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I think he may... If you're in California, I don't know if he was a good governor or not. I'll leave that up to you. But um, it's the same thing where the reason folks were even open to the idea of this person is because they're successful. And then often that transfer of, oh, therefore, they must be good at this. Or uh, we see this in folks we talk to, uh, brilliant doctor or brilliant business leader in, you know, something. And then they, they may be a little overconfident when it comes to investing. And it's led to mistakes that they've made because uh, they took confidence in one discipline and sort of just carried it over to another. So it can happen inside oneself as well, which can be maybe even more dangerous. That's right. We, we transfer the halo when we probably shouldn't. All right, Joe. That's all we have time for. I hope you all found this interesting and helpful stick them away in your brain and hopefully on a rainy day they come back up and maybe help you make the right decision instead of the one that feels right uh, in the moment thanks for listening thank you for listening to another episode of your money in 20 the podcast by your friends here at woodward financial advisors we hope you enjoyed it now if you'd like to continue the conversation you could find us on the web at woodwardadvisors.com and as a firm on both facebook and linkedin there's a link to those pages at the bottom of our website 
You can also find us all as individuals on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, we love receiving listener-suggested topics, so if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please hit the Let's Talk link at the top of our website and submit a message with podcast in the subject line. Thanks again for listening, and talk to you next time.